Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm very glad that you've decided to spend another weekend with us, another Saturday morning. I mean, what what would be better to do on a Saturday than to get out in the landscape, get out in the garden, piddle around, maybe pull some winter weeds, get ready to plant, maybe look through some seed catalogs, because, of course, seed season is amongst us if you're going to be starting any seeds indoors to put out in your landscape into your garden like vegetables in particular or flowers well we're pretty much getting there because we need about oh four to six weeks some maybe could benefit from eight weeks before you plan to put them in the ground And if you're planning to plant around our last average frost, that would be April 15th. So, of course, six weeks before April 15th would be the 1st of March. So be sure that you're looking for seeds you want to grow this year, uh, making sure you're, you know, trying out some flowers, trying out some new varieties or old varieties of vegetable plants. And if you have any questions that uh, arise on your search, well, feel free to send us your question at NewSouthernGarden.com. You can check us out on Facebook and Instagram. As a matter of fact, last week we answered questions uh, that you've been sending to us, and we'll try to do that once a month. Normally, we save the last show of the month, the last Saturday of the month, to answer your questions. That's our Q&A week. And so be sure, we got a few more weeks to the end of this month, so be sure to send us those questions. Uh, you can send them directly at NewSouthernGarden.com or add a picture, uh, video of something that's going on in your landscape. You can do all that at Facebook. Just tag us at New Southern Garden. Uh, well, and Instagram, too. So if you missed last week, you can also find the show at NewSouthernGarden.com. I just wanted to make sure that if you've been away for a little while that you catch up with what's going on in the new southern garden because spring is going to be here before we know it folks spring is going to be here soon and very soon as a matter of fact it seems like we were just ushering in the new year and we're already into the second month of 2022 so again uh, if you got questions as we get closer to spring, we'll be glad to help you answer them, uh, give you some ideas and some tips on growing the best garden that you've ever had. Let's see. So today's program, I do want to talk about one particular plant, one individual particular plant that you probably know very well. You may or may not have one of these plants growing in your garden If you have a very small garden, you may not even think you could grow it because it is a large tree. But uh, if you have a a large pasture or some nice pastoral land, well, then you may already have this plant. And of course, I'm referring to the southern magnolia. 
The southern magnolia is iconic. It's one of the most iconic plants for southern gardens. It's been not just a staple, but it's natively found here and grown here. As a matter of fact, our good friends to the north, they really can't grow this plant uh, in Yankeeville because it, it gets too cold. Not, not many selections of southern magnolia are so cold tolerant that they can be grown in uh, very cold climates. So it's sort of a plant that is strictly used here in the south and has been moved around to other parts of the world. As you know, some of the plants we use in our landscape come from China, and China has certain areas that's very similar to our climate. So I'm certain that those folks over there are using it, as well as parts of Europe and Great Britain. Uh, This plant is just a great plant of garden history. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. We are going to talk about uh, the, the history of the plant, but also how to grow it, what it looks like, what to expect from your southern magnolia, as well as uh, some of the cultivars. Of course, cultivars are cultivated varieties, so different uh, different uh, characteristics that this southern magnolia can present. Of course, these cultivars are propagated in such a way that they're identical. So if you're going to go out and purchase one of these cultivars because you like those characteristics, you can expect to receive those characteristics. Of course, the plant has to be tagged appropriately. Sometimes a mix-up of tags can happen in the, in the nursery. It is part of, 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 of the inefficiency. But if the plant is appropriately tagged and the grower can guarantee that it's a certain cultivar, a certain, certain cultivated variety, then the characteristics we talk about today will be exhibited on the plant you purchase. So I, it's, you probably, if you do have a small landscape, maybe you're in a subdivision, maybe you're in a townhouse, well, you've probably never thought about Southern Magnolia because they get very large, both wide and tall. But there are some of these cultivars that I'll talk about that stay relatively small and can be used in smaller spaces. Now, one of the reasons why I'm dedicating most of this show today to the Southern Magnolia, well, there's nothing more Southern, really, than a magnolia. You think about the, the movies, literature uh, of the past that is just iconic for the South, and usually there's a Southern Magnolia. Just watch Gone with the Wind, for instance, and you'll see plenty of Southern Magnolias. Of course, these are those plants that you just anticipate Scarlet to run out from behind with her big hoop skirt. Uh, it's just something that has been around for a long time, and uh, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to try and grow it in your own landscape. So we'll get to that. But before we get to the Southern Magnolia, I I was talking uh, with an individual about growing carrots earlier this week. I know there's not much relationship between carrots and Southern Magnolia, but we're getting close to a time where if you have a a cold frame, uh, maybe a greenhouse even, if you have a a true greenhouse, you could have grown carrots all winter long. Uh, But as long as we can keep the soil a bit warmer and the foliage a bit warmer, you could start growing carrots now. And of course, as it warms up, you can grow them outdoors without any protection. Uh, but carrots, there's a couple of ways that I've grown them in the past. And I thought since I was talking about it this week that I would sort of share uh, two simple ways that you can grow them. Of course, carrots are plants that we consume the root from. We're actually eating the root when we're eating a carrot. 
the root of the plant. It's a large, swollen taproot that can be very sweet and tasty. Of course, it can be eaten fresh, but it can be cooked in a variety of ways, including soups and stews, uh, maybe just baked even. Baked carrots are actually not that bad. They're pretty good. But the carrot, because we are consuming and trying to produce the root, if we grow them in a very rocky soil... If we grow them in a soil that has some kind of impediment underground and that root gets, uh, or rather something gets in the way of that taproot growing like a rock, well then the carrot will be misshapen. It'll continue to grow. It'll find a way around the rock or around the stone or around whatever trash is down below the soil. It'll find a way around that, but you'll have these misshapen carrots. And so if you want to grow some of the straightest prettiest carrots you've ever seen. Well, you can grow them in something like a large container, maybe a five-gallon bucket even. You don't have to go out and buy something special, but if you have some old nursery pots hanging around, you at least, depending on the size of the carrot you're growing, because some of the larger carrots can get to, golly, 12 inches in length, but some of the smaller carrots can be just a couple of inches. So depending on the kind of depth uh, or, or the length of the carrot you're growing, that will dictate how deep of a container. With carrots, it doesn't have to be a wide container, but it needs to be fairly deep. And so let's say we're going to grow an average carrot somewhere between six to eight inches in length. We would want at least that amount of soil, uh, depth of soil, but you would probably want to go about 50% deeper just for posterity, just to uh, give it a little elbow room, if you will. So if you use very soft soil, whether it's uh, something out of, uh, out of the garden or maybe you've you got some compost, uh, some, some manure you want to mix all together, use something very light, nothing very heavy. Of course, our clay soils here in the south are very heavy soils and it may be harder for those tap roots to really push through. So a lightweight soil, organic matter based, something like soil conditioner, uh, potting soil that you buy in a bag, that would be ideal to grow these straight, beautiful carrots in. You fill up your container with that soft soil, that uh, very lightweight soil, and then sprinkle your carrot seeds on top. Now, you can be tedious about uh, placing seeds individually. You'd want to give them a little bit of shoulder room because as the, uh, as the taproot swells, of course, it's getting longer, but it's it's also getting wider. And again, depending on the type of carrot you're growing, you may need somewhere between two to four inches uh, of spacing between those plants. And on the safe side, maybe go five or six if you don't know how large that carrot will get or how wide it will get. But the spacing is important too because you don't want carrot roots growing together and constrict, constricting each other's growth. So space your carrots out uh, with a few inches of, of space between each seed and give them water. You don't have to cover them very deeply. Just sprinkle a light dusting of soil on top, something to just uh, give good contact with the seed, a good soil contact and then water them in and of course depending on the type of carrot that will depend on uh, on how you know when they're ready as far as how many days until you harvest them just be sure to check out that seed packet because it should tell you days to maturity or days to harvest then you're going to watch it grow go ahead and give it a, a nice well-balanced feed whether you're using something organic or something more commercial like 10 10 10 something like that is appropriate uh, and then probably fertilize it halfway through its growing 
uh, period and give it something with a higher rate of phosphorus and potassium, less nitrogen, more phosphorus and potassium, because phosphorus and potassium, particularly the phosphorus, is going to help develop a strong root system. And since we are growing a plant that we will harvest the roots from, we want to make sure that we're giving it a little boost in the root development area. So higher phosphorus and potassium on their second feeding. Feeding You may go ahead and in between give it a, a, a liquid feed. You know, of course, miracle Grow. I hate to use a brand name, but uh, Peter's is another brand, uh, whoever you can find. But a liquid feed would be diluted, and you can water that liquid feed in from time to time just to keep them happy and growing. And then when they're ready to harvest, you can give one a tug and just see how uh, developed it is. But it's super easy to harvest these because you can just dump that soil out and there you have it. All of your carrots in that container are now loosened from the earth and there's no breaking. So growing carrots above ground is a very easy idea, very quick. I shouldn't say quick necessarily. It takes the same amount of time to grow as it would in the ground. But you can almost guarantee that every carrot is going to be straight and perfect. There's not going to be any forks. If you've ever grown carrots before and you've pulled out, pulled them out of the ground and there's a fork or two forks uh, of roots down in the bottom, they just look funny and misshapen. Doesn't mean they're not edible. But if you want those perfect carrots, Planting them in super soft soil that is quite deep is going to be the uh, going to be essential. Now, the last little step for or last little tip for carrots that I would recommend is if you're going to plant them in the ground, and you have raised beds or maybe just garden a garden space that's been tilled and of course improved with organic matter, you can prepare your spacing on carrot seeds before you even go outside and here's what I want you to do or think about take about a two or three foot strip of toilet paper that's right folks toilet paper <laughs> of course paper is uh, made from trees it's an organic material that's going to break down it's not plastic so lay this uh, strip of toilet paper out and on one quarter uh, uh, take a measure I don't know what the standard width of toilet paper is, maybe four inches. <laughs> Anyhow, so about an inch in or a quarter in on the width of that paper, space out your seeds. Space them two, three inches apart, whatever uh, spacing you think they need based on the variety and type. And then once they're spaced, sort of moisten the toilet paper with a, a spray bottle, just a spray bottle of water, and then fold it over. Fold it over and press it down so that those seeds now are trapped in between uh, two sheets of, fo of, of, of well, folded toilet paper. Now, you're going to have this long, narrow strip, and your carrot seeds are going to be perfectly spaced. You can just roll that out in your garden planting area, cover it lightly with soil, and you have perfectly spaced carrots without having to bend over and place each seed on the soil well there you go for some carrot tips when we get back the southern magnolia and all of its magnificence Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the new Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Well, gang, like I said in the first segment, I don't think there is probably any plant that says Southern like Southern Magnolia. Would you agree with me? Because not only is the Southern Magnolia native to the South and Southeast, but it's also been planted in the Southeast. It's been cultivated in the South and still... There are new varieties of Southern Magnolia becoming available. The past 30 years, we've seen just an influx of different types of Southern Magnolias. So uh, I guess another reason I want to talk about this, because I'm planting some Southern Magnolias out at our place uh, this this part of the year, this time of the year, probably, hopefully, within a week. I've already got them spaced out. I've just got to get them in the ground. That's always the hardest part, you know? But the Southern Magnolias that I've chosen are one called Dee Dee Blanchard, and we'll talk about her a little later. But it is a large, wide, and tall plant. And of course, that's their natural, their natural uh, heights and, and widths. They are wide, they are tall. We'll talk about some more details when we get about uh, uh, the, the characteristics of this plant later. But for me, I'm going to use them as a screen. And that is one way that you can use Southern Magnolia. Because they're an evergreen, very dense quite large, they will help to screen. They will help to create that privacy fence, privacy screen, if you will. But southern magnolias can also be used as specimen trees. Now remember, specimen plants are those plants that can be used uh, just one at a time. If you have a bed and you need something big and you want to really show off that southern magnolia, not only does it help to screen maybe your property or hide something you don't want people to see, but also one plant can be just as impressive as a whole group of them. So use the southern magnolia as a specimen tree. Use the southern magnolia as a privacy fence or hedge. Privacy screen, I should say. It's not really a fence. <laughs> but regardless, there are plenty of uses for the southern magnolia. Now, let's talk a little bit about the history of the Southern Magnolia. Of course, the Southern Magnolia is found in the Southeast natively. This is the part of the world that Southern Magnolia comes from, our area. So, there was a time when the Western world did not know what Southern Magnolia was. I mean, could you imagine a time uh, where there was no Southern Magnolias around? <laughs> well, of course, in America, there's always been Southern Magnolias. But before the settlers came, Europeans had no clue about the Southern Magnolia. And then when, you know, Europeans migrated over here to the New World, the Southern Magnolia was growing wild in the woods, these big, large, evergreen trees with those super huge, fragrant flowers. And it really took the world by storm. It really did. It took the Western world by storm because, of course, the Native Americans who were living here, they knew about this tree. But with that being said, I want to introduce you to a gentleman who's, who was European and, and lived over here in the United States. Uh, his, his father and he, he so uh, William Bartram is the man I'm going to talk about, but John Bartram was his father. Now, they were what we would probably call today plant hunters. 
They were naturalists. They liked to travel in the wilderness and look for plants, look for animals, look for different kinds of frogs and birds. They were looking for new species of all living creatures. But plants was really their specialty, I think, because they both uh, operated the Bartram Nursery, which is up uh, in New England, and they would go around collecting plants, take them back to their nursery, and grow them. They would take seeds from plants, grow those at their nursery, and it wasn't just a, a place where they were experimenting with plants. No, it was really a business. You know, nursery, the nursery industry is always been a business because growing plants cost money, you know, so you've got to make a living. Now, they would sell these plants to Europeans for sure. There were plenty of people over uh, the great Atlantic Ocean who were asking for Bartram's plants. Uh, they would learn about these new American species and they would want to put them in their European and English gardens. But Europeans weren't the only people that were buying Bartram's plants. No, no, no. There were plenty of people that you are very familiar with, people like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, who would purchase seeds or plants from the Bartram nurseries and install them on their uh, farms and their residences. And so everybody was thrilled about these American plants. And, you know, we've talked about the founding gardeners before, of course, Washington, Jefferson, Madison, uh, John Adams. They were, most of these guys were all about American plants, and I'll tell you why. Because, of course, they lived in that time period where they were trying to break away from England, trying to get rid of that European lifestyle and embrace a new American lifestyle. And one of the ways, symbolically at least, they thought to do that would be to fill their gardens, fill their gardens with American plants. And so if you visit any of those old farms by the, that were owned by the founding gardeners like Washington or Jefferson or Madison, you will see a lot of American species, a lot of American plants. And many of those plants would have been the plants that they put in their landscape at a very young age. So we can enjoy the beauty of those trees at a mature age because they planted them hundreds of years ago now. So back to William Bartram. He's, of course, traveling uh, the southeast. He's going into the Carolinas, into Georgia, probably parts of Tennessee, and over to Alabama towards Mississippi. And he's writing a book, The Travels of William Bartram. He's traveling the southeast. And he gives descriptions of all kinds of plants. It's a, not an easy read, but it is very informative. Of course, it's written in the 1700s, so, you know, the, the, the language is a little outdated for us, but the information is nice because here was an individual who was able to look at forests, uh, meadows, prairies, whatever, uh, wetlands, swamp areas, mountains. He was looking at all of these things in their pristine condition. There was no Walmart, there was no shopping centers, there was no hotels. He was living in the woods, but he was looking at the southern landscape with that pristine condition. And so I don't know of really any other book or document that you could find where someone is traveling and, you know, probably uh, Lewis and Clark headed out west and they wrote about their travels. But this particular book is very unique for our area, for the southern area. And I do want to read you uh, the the inscript, not the the description rather that William Bartram gives the magnolia. Now he calls it the laurel magnolia. He doesn't call it the southern magnolia. He calls it the laurel magnolia. So he says the laurel magnolia, southern magnolia, 
which grows on this river, uh, are the most beautiful and tall. The flowers in the center of a coronet of dark green, shining, pointed entire leaves. They are large, perfectly white, and expanded like a full-blown rose. The flowers of this tree are the largest and most complete of any yet known. When fully expanded, they are six, eight, and nine inches diameter. The pericarpum and the berries possess an agreeable, spicy scent and an aromatic, bitter taste. Apparently, he tried. uh, He actually bit down on parts of the flower here. But you listen at that description. He says, this is the largest, has the largest flowers of any tree that was yet known. So think about this. This gentleman discovers and writes about and propagates the southern magnolia, which at that time was the largest known flower in the world. Now, of course, years later, probably a hundred or more, there was some plant hunters who were going into China and they have found other magnolias and other types of plants with maybe larger flowers. But at this point in history, The southern magnolia was considered the plant with the largest flower. And of course, he talks about the shiny green leaves, dark green leaves, which you and I are familiar with. I think that probably of all the plants that William Bartram spotted in the southern wild, in the pristine nature uh, that is the southeast, I think that this plant was probably, the southern magnolia was probably one of his favorites. Now, he doesn't say that, but I'm assuming it probably is. It's one of my favorites. And when we get back from this quick break, we're going to get out of the history of Southern Magnolia and start talking about the characteristics and talk about the things that make it what it is, but also talk about uh, specific cultivars, types of magnolias that you can fit in a small space. So hang on tight, and we'll be right back with more on the Southern Magnolia. Stories are Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So, gang, if you were to come visit me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week, you would notice that our neighbors across the street have these three very large, very mature southern magnolias. Now, I'm not so sure that any person planted those. I think that they were just naturally, natively sprouted and were left alone to grow. But it was about this time of day, a a couple of days ago, when I was walking around the front of the nursery and I looked across the street and those leaves on that southern, on those three southern magnolias, those big, glossy, dark green leaves were just glimmering and shining, reflecting back the sunlight. Maybe that gave me a little inspiration to talk about southern magnolias today. But that is one of the great characteristics of Southern Magnolia is that they have these very dark 
evergreen, which means they keep their leaves through the winter. These shiny leaves that just reflect back the sunlight, especially at certain times of the day. And I've noticed that in the wintertime, it looks really nice. You know, maybe because the sun's a little lower in the sky. I don't know. I don't know much about the movement of the sun. But just that moment about, say, 10 o'clock in the morning, 10 to 11, this time of year, it just was spectacular. Now, we are talking about the Southern Magnolia today on New Southern Garden because what else could possibly be more Southern than the Southern Magnolia? We already discussed a little bit of the history of the sort of first description we've ever heard about a Southern Magnolia came from William Bartram in the later half of the 1700s. And he was talking about all these glorious characteristics, how it was the largest flower of any plant known at that point in history. But Southern Magnolia is not the only magnolia that exists. No, there's other magnolias. There are plenty of other native magnolias, like the Sweet Bay Magnolia. The Sweet Bay Magnolia has a smaller leaf, not as shiny. The underside of that uh, fairly bright green, not very dark green, uh, the underside of that leaf is more silvery. And this plant uh, has a smaller bloom. It's fragrant but it is a small creamy white flower. And that's the Sweet Bay Magnolia. There's other native magnolias that you'll find in the woods, but maybe not in the nurseries or the garden centers. Uh, and then, of course, there's magnolias that come from Asia. There are magnolias of Japanese and Chinese ancestry, if you will. Uh, but usually these are deciduous. Yeah, they're fairly deciduous, like the tulip, tulip magnolia. Some people call it tulip tree. Now, that's that magnolia that's about ready to bloom. It's probably getting nice large buds on it. If you have a magnolia, there's several, one called Jane and one called Anne. Uh, but regardless, those are those magnolias that bloom before the leaves come out in the spring. So, you know, usually they're purple or pink. Uh, there's a star magnolia, which is usually a white flower. But these are all deciduous magnolias, you know. Our southern magnolia flowers in the summer, and of course it has those large evergreen leaves. So I don't know if it's the best magnolia, but I think it's got some of the best characteristics that a plant could possibly have. With that being said, let's talk more about the leaves of the magnolia. The southern magnolia, uh, you'll notice that their leaves are sort of oblong, maybe elliptic, kind of like an ellipsis, right? They tend to be longer than they are wide. They might go from 5 to 10 inches long, depending on the age of the leaf, but also that width of the leaf is probably about less than half of its length. Now, other than the dark, lustrous green on top... Underneath the leaf, usually you find essentially uh, uh, what we call in horticulture or uh, uh, botany pubescence. Pubescence sort of like uh, hairs. You'll find under these leaves usually very uh, a hairy underside that uh, is very soft, uh, sort of is, is uh, silky when you, when you rub your fingers on it. Sometimes that pubescence is dark like black to brown, and in some cases, it's sort of orange, sort of a rusty color. So the fact that this leaf can be two-tone, you've got dark green on the top and maybe rusty to brown on the underside, that is a very attractive characteristic to look for in a leaf. Now, let's talk about those flowers. You know, the flowers on this plant is really an attraction. 
The flowers, they are perfect flowers. Now, let me describe to you what that means or explain. A perfect flower is a flower that has both male and female parts in the same flower. There are some plants which have flowers that are strictly male and some that are strictly female. But in this case, the southern magnolia has a perfect flower that has both male and female uh, parts. Okay, so with that being said, the petals, the petals of the flower are sort of that creamy white, and they are beautifully fragrant. As a matter of fact, uh, an old professor of mine, actually not my professor, but the professor at UGA who wrote the book that we studied from at UGA, he says that the fragrance of a southern magnolia is better than the best perfume. I don't know if you agree or not. I know that uh, everybody's nose can be different. I've met many people who just hate the smell of gardenias, but I love it. It is very fragrant. But this southern magnolia, uh, my uh, professor of UGA, uh, retired now, says that the southern magnolia's fragrance from the flower better than the best perfume. I'll let you be the, de- the, the deciding factor on that. But in many cases, these flowers, when they're open, they may be 8 to 12 inches in diameter. You know that Mr. Bartram said they could be 6, 8, 9 inches in diameter? Well, we have been working with the Southern Magnolia for a few hundred years since his description, and we have found that in some cases, you might have a flower that is 12 inches around. That is wild. Well, to me it is. Now, these flowers are solitary on the plant. That means you have individual flowers here and there. Some plants will have clusters of flowers, right? Not on the southern magnolia. They have definitely solitary individual buds that open up into a flower. Now, when do they bloom? Usually from May to June. However, they may sporadically bloom thereafter. And there's many reports of these plants blooming well into October, maybe pushing November if the climate and the temperatures are just right. So again, those are the flowers, the creamy, white, very large, very fragrant Uh, southern magnolia flower. You just can't beat it, in my opinion. Now, after the flower, you do get another sort of ornamental characteristic, and that is the fruits. The fruits of the flower, um, or the fruits that that are produced after the flower is done blooming, and after the uh, flower has been fertilized, you do get these very rosy red uh, fruits They're actually called uh, follicles, but regardless, they sort of go up and down the center of where the flower bud was, and they they these follicles sort of crack open, and you see those red seeds. You see those nice red seeds. Now they usually are ripened uh, by the time September, October, November gets here. In the south, where they're natively found, they these trees can fruit quite heavily. So, of course, those seeds could become new southern magnolia plants. But in my opinion, it is just those seeds sitting there in these nice little rows, those bright red seeds up against the dark green of the foliage is very attractive. All right, so that is the fruit that it produces. Of course, not necessarily something you'd want to eat. We're not talking about edible fruits. We're talking more about reproduction sake, right? But they themselves, in addition to the flower, can be another reason to plant this particular plant. Now, 
we do see when we get to the cultivation, let's talk about actually cultivating this plant, growing it in the landscape. You know, Southern Magnolia can grow in a variety of soils because we see it growing in a variety of soils around uh, our area natively. But they can tolerate high soil moisture. So if you have areas that tend to stay on the wetter side, well, Southern Magnolia could be a good option. If you've got enough space for it, it can handle wet, wetter soils. When you're planting your magnolia, you do want to make sure you have a wide hole. Uh, doesn't have to be very deep because the magnolia uh, roots actually hang around the top few inches of the soil. And with that being said, they actually compete with other plants very well. And usually they win. There's only a few plants that I've seen really able to grow under magnolia, and that would be like liriope or dwarf mondo grass, um, maybe pachysandra, which of course is a Japanese plant, but it could be a nice ground cover to grow underneath because not many other plants can compete with the roots of the southern magnolia. So with that being said, make sure that before you plant, you dig a very wide hole so those roots can get going and get growing out very wide from the base of your plant. There is one problem that we may see with Southern Magnolia, and that is shock. There is such a thing as transplant shock, and Southern Magnolia can be prone to that. When you put your magnolia in uh, the ground, when you plant it, you'll notice that the interior leaves may drop. Now, that is not really a big problem because new growth will be produced the next spring, but just don't be scared if that shock happens and you notice that some leaves fall from the inside of the southern magnolia. Uh, with that being said, southern magnolia is one of the few plants that even at an old age, a mature age, can be trimmed well into the uh, branches, well into the hardwood, if you will, and it can generate a number of new branches to fill in. So if a magnolia branch ever falls off and it's left with this big void, a big hole, well, just know that after you clean that break up, you will probably see plenty of foliage and growth coming out from that void because it does a good job at putting new branches on old wood. All right. There is another thing that I do want to mention when you're talking about growing them. Even though their growth rate the Southern Magnolia's growth rate is listed somewhere around slow to medium. If you give it plenty of water and fertilizer at a young age, it will be quite a fast grower. So in the nurseries, you can uh, find a decent size magnolia uh, that is, you know, budgetable, a good price range. And beef still pretty large. As a matter of fact, the plants that um, I've acquired for our place are in a 15-gallon. They cost retail between maybe $100, $120. And the size of it is already probably 7 or 8 feet tall. They are quite large. And it's budgetable. A large plant like that in other, uh, for other species could be even more costly. So just know that uh, even though they do sort of grow slow to medium, especially when they get older, if you give them a good fertilizer program and give them extra water in the you know heat of summer, they will really appreciate you for that.
All right, so those are the main notes that I've got for the culture, actually cultivating this plant. Uh, We're coming up on a break, but I have enough time to talk about diseases and insects because really, Southern Magnolia essentially is problem-free. It really has no major disease that we're worried about. It has no major pest or insect that we're worried about. There has been some notes about a bacteria or myco, uh, mycoplasma that may do some problem with the southern magnolia and also a weevil. But I have yet to see that uh, Around our area, of course, I visit a lot of folks in their landscape and uh, see a lot of magnolias. They all look gorgeous. Their leaves are spotless, if you will. (laughs) I mean, there's one or two poor-looking leaves every now and then. But really, no disease, no insect problems. So that's another reason. They can grow fast, and they really have no disease issues. That's another reason that you can grow this plant. When we get back, we're going to talk about different cultivars that may fit your area, uh, your property, better. So hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, if you're just joining us here on New Southern Garden, uh, you've missed most of the show. We're in the last segment today, so if you've missed any part of this program, feel free to check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, because today we've been talking about probably the quintessential plant for the South. Nothing says more Southern, nothing says more South than the Southern Magnolia. The Southern Magnolia, and we've been talking about its history. We've been talking about the characteristics as far as the leaves, the flowers, the fruits. We've talked about how to grow it and how fast or how slow it grows. So, of course, you can find this show in a few short hours on our website, uh, NewSouthernGarden.com. But now I'd like to talk a bit as we uh, finish out today's program to talk about the cultivars that you can purchase. All right, so let me say this. What is a cultivar? Cultivar is a cultivated variety. That's what the word stands for. Cultivar, cultivated variety, which is essentially a plant that is propagated to look just like the original plant. So if a plant is gets 20 foot tall and five feet wide, uh, you buy a cultivar of that plant and you will have a plant that grows 20 foot tall, five feet wide. It keeps the same genetics. It keeps the uh, same characteristics as its mother. With that being said, Southern Magnolia can be grown from seed. So seedling grown Southern Magnolias could look completely different, just like children. 
you know, I have two kids. I have two kids, Eden and Ezra. Ezra was born just last October. Uh, he's just, I guess, uh, gonna, going to be about four months old. But regardless, they don't look the same. Well, one's a boy, one's a girl. The other thing is, uh, Eden has very dark hair and dark eyes, but Ezra, for some reason, has lighter hair. It's almost blonde, which both uh, his mother and I have darker hair and darker eyes, but his eyes are sort of more gray-blue. They haven't changed to brown yet. So, you know, uh, genetics are going to give different characteristics. But in the plant world, when we propagate things from cuttings or propagate a plant by grafting, we can save those genetics and make sure that the plant you're buying looks like the plant you were expecting to buy. That's why we use cultivars. So cultivars, they may have a different size bloom, a different color bloom. They may have different size leaves, different shape leaves. They may have different heights and different widths at maturity. And so with cultivars, you sort of know what you're going to get. So let me go ahead and talk about uh, maybe three or so really big southern magnolias. And then I'm going to talk about a few southern magnolias that stay smaller for smaller areas, smaller landscapes. The trouble with using southern magnolias near a house uh, is that they may become larger than the house, okay? No joke. Southern Mag some of the biggest magnolias, some of the biggest magnolias, southern magnolias that we have found, we call them the champion trees, are nearly, nearly uh, 100 feet uh, in each direction, all right? So there are some really large southern magnolias out there. But that doesn't mean that you need one that's going to get so large. So one of the biggest ones, though, is D.D. Blanchard. And I've already mentioned her because I'm using D.D. Blanchard out here, or rather out at my place, uh, where I'm going to be planting them. So D.D. Blanchard has that pyramidal shape, so it's got a taller height than base. It sort of climbs up in the air like a pyramid would, except the thing about D.D. Blanchard is she has very dark green leaves and underneath a very rich orange-brown underside. So that is a uh, particular characteristics that I like about the D.D. Um, Blanchard. Now, with that being said, though, um, this particular... Southern Magnolia cultivar, D.D. Blanchard, can be very large. Uh, you would expect her to be 50 foot or greater. So it may not be a good plant to put near the house to make the house look small, but it may, and it may not be a good plant to put out in a small landscape, but it is one of the larger ones with those characteristics, characteristic orange underside. Now, Bracken's Brown is another large uh, southern magnolia, possibly maturing at uh, 30 to 50 feet by maybe 15 to 30 feet wide. So still a good sized plant, maybe not quite as large as D.D. Blanchard, but very close to it. Now Bracken's Brown or Bracken's Brown Beauty, I might need to say, it does have a very compact and dense form when it's young, uh, but then as it grows and starts to develop, you'll notice that there is a brown underside on the leaf. So D.D. Blanchard has a more orange underside, whereas Bracken's Brown Beauty has a more brown underside on the leaf. And again, that is one of the characteristics of Southern Magnolia that is very unusual. For it to have a two-tone leaf, the top dark green and the bottom either orange or brown or some mixture in between. Now, Claudia Wanamaker... 
Claudia Wanamaker. Got to love these names. These were real people, actually. Dee Dee Blanchard and Claudia Wanamaker. But Claudia Wanamaker uh, is a very fine form, dark green foliage. It has a medium rusty brown underside, but it tends to flower at an early age. So where some magnolias wait a few years to really get blooming, Claudia Wanamaker may be blooming when you go to the nurseries in uh, May or June. It is a broad but medium pyramid. It's got vigorous growth, and it's more open. It's a little less dense than that Bracken's Brown we talked about. Um, It's widely planted around our our parts of town, the southeast. uh, Bracken's Brown Beauty, you can find at nurseries. Find uh, selections at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, of course, and Flowery Branch, where you find me throughout the week. But it is uh, very well-known and has been used for a long time. Now... Those are three big ones, three big southern magnolia cultivars. But let me mention three small ones. First, I'm going to mention Alta, A-L-T-A, Alta. And it sort of gets its name because it is very upright. It's very upright, almost column-shaped, but still a very shallow pyramid, if you will. It's got a broad base, but it does climb up to a point like a pyramid. It does have the dark green leaves uh, and a medium brown underside, which is nice. Uh, This tree may be 21 foot tall by 8 feet wide, uh, very narrow. So if you have a narrow space or a small garden uh, and you need a little bit of height, You can go with the Alta Southern Magnolia, knowing that it's not going to get too wide uh, for any given area. Now, Little Jim, Little Jim Southern Magnolia is probably one of the most popular cultivars used today. It is more like uh, 20 foot tall. Yeah, I think about 20 foot tall and maybe 10 feet wide over the course of 20 years. Now, of course, it's going to keep growing, but a 20 year span is a long time. I mean... I will be 50 in 20 years, 53, almost 53 in 20 years. So you see, that is a long time for this plant to grow. But Little Jim uh, is a pretty plant that has a smaller compact size. Also, look into one called Teddy Bear. Teddy Bear. Teddy Bear is another good one uh, that stays small, doesn't fill out too much, and uh, you I don't see that one as common in the trade. You may have a hard time finding it. Probably 10 years ago it was around, but it has a strange-shaped leaf. It's more rounded, like a little teddy bear ear. It can be really attractive. Well, gang, regardless of which cultivar fits your space, Southern Magnolia needs to have a presence in your landscape because we're one of the only parts of the world that can grow it and it's from here so if you have any questions about southern magnolia or any other plant in the world just let us know check us out online at newsoutherngarden.com and for new southern garden and wrwh i am nathan wilson hoping that you stay well and grow well i hope you join us next week have a good one Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.